as the chassan held up the ring to say Hariah Akudeshisli. So he, he took the ring and as he was about to put it on her finger, it slipped out of his hands and it fell on the floor and it, you know, bounced and went somewhere where nobody, nobody could find it. Everyone was on their hands and he's looking for it and everyone was, oh, is this a bad sign? You know, maybe, you know, maybe the shidduch isn't meant to be. And is this a sign from Shemayim? And, and, you know, people were whispering and Rav Chaim said, everybody calm down. He said, this is a sign from Shemayim. This is a sign from Shemayim. But it's a sign from Shemayim of only one thing. It's a sign from Shemayim that they weren't supposed to get married now, but in five minutes from now when we find the ring. That's it. It's the sign that it's not supposed to happen this second, it's supposed to happen in five minutes from now, or five seconds from now when we find the ring. And so Hashem ordained from the six days of creation that even though this took three years to happen, that this is the moment that Hashem wanted that we would be able to sit together. And there are certainly at least a million of faces that I, I recognize and I have met before whose families I know who I, whose faces I recognize from, from WhatsApp messages or from Twitter or from something, I don't know from what. And, and then there's a lot of people that I don't yet know and how strange it is to, to meet like this without knowing all of your names and at the very least you knowing my name and the name of my children and you know this is not uh, going to be a history or math class that you could do without knowing each other's names that's okay this is something this is something else entirely and so I want to start by thanking Hashem for bringing us to this moment thank you to Hashem for my health and for your health that we're all able to be here thank you Hashem for professors and teachers who didn't give us so much homework that we couldn't be here tonight. Thank you to spouses who let us come out. Thank you to roommates who are holding down the fort while we're here. Thank you to the people who built this microphone and the sound system. Thank you to the Manises for sponsoring the evening. And um, I, I would like to begin with a song of gratitude, but I don't want to start by singing by myself. I want to start by singing together. So we'll sing a song of gratitude soon. You know, Kislev is the whole Indian of Kislev is the Hodos Lahalel, and we'll get to that shortly. But we'll begin by singing a nigan together that I hope at least some of you will recognize and the others will be able to catch up soon enough. Did it da 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 da
together to sing Nagunim is something that people don't understand very much in this generation. And by people I include myself, we don't really even know what we're doing. For 2,000 years, the Koach of Tefillah was somewhat in exile. It was exiled together with the Jewish people, destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, with the end of prophecy. And we're living in a time when we're starting for the first time to take that emergency text that was written by the Anshik Nesagadola, to take the text of the beautiful words of the Siddur, which were written with Ruch HaKodesh, with the Nevuah. But at the same time is something that is not really our own words. I think it's our own words because it's, they carved it out of Nishmas Yisrael, and all of us are endowed with that. But Anshe Knesset wrote the words themselves and we've been saying them for 2,000 years. We've been just repeating these words over and over again. And every time we come to the tefillah, it's like, it's like plain food, you know? Chas v'shalom, I don't mean to, this, you know, it's chazal. It's like, but it's like plain food, you know? We, we take it out of the package and it makes a lot of noise with the crinkling, we're trying to figure out how to get the forks out and the little salt and pepper packets. 
I don't ever use those. It's always so salty already. And, um, and it sustained us through the exile, meaning we, we would have we perished. We were on this boat in the middle of the ocean for all these years, and, and we had storehouses and storehouses of tefillah, like the Arizal says, that in the words of the Shmona Esrei, of the 19 brachos of the Shmona Esrei, go figure, 19 brachos of the Shmona Esrei is 18, whatever. So the 19 brachos of the Shmona Esrei have, have within them the capacity to be a new tefillah for every single shachar Mincha Marv from the time of the destruction of the base of Mikdash until the Marv that we just daven and the shachar will daven tomorrow has new kavonos and new things that are packed away in there. But at the same time, we're waiting to, and it's happening now very much, it's happening in the resurgence of Yerushalayim, it's happening in the founding of this community in Herzliyah, of young Jews who are building a community here. It's built on the foundation of understanding, of recognizing that the tefillah that the Antje Knesset wrote comes with, it's not yet, it should be, it should be mamish tomorrow, I don't know. But it's, it has an expiration date. And as the Jewish people have come back to Eretz Yisrael, so we sense the tension of, on the one hand, unless I'm alone in this, I don't think I am. We sense the tension of, on the one hand, I'm going to say these words, I just said these words like an hour ago, two hours ago, especially get the quick minchamayr together. It's like, I just said, I literally just said these words. Person is a redeemed person, they're able to see new kavanas, it's true. But we're coming to a time where we're taking the Shmona Esrei that was preserving the Jewish people for all these years, we're taking it out of the freezer and we're defrosting it. And now, Mamish, we're going to eat it. We're going to eat the Shmona Esrei and we're going to ingest it. And from the koch of ingesting that Shmona Esrei, we'll be able to daven like normal people. I said to some of the chevra in, in, in the old city, in Oreta, where, where I'm a student, um, I said to them the other day, I said, imagine if every conversation you ever had to have with your best friend in the world, imagine every conversation you ever had to have with your life partner. It was only, you're only allowed to have that conversation if you read it off of like some greeting card that you bought in like a CVS or a Target or wherever you buy greeting cards in Eretz Yisrael, I don't know, Super Pharma. <laughs> Imagine if every conversation was, thinking about you is like thinking about a purple lilac in autumn. I, I, don't, I don't know what, I don't even know what they write in these things. I love you so much, or you did something wrong and you say, to my, Dearest beloved, I can't believe that I did. Well, I don't, I don't even, what are they writing these things? They have these like sorry letters and they have some of them have silly pictures on them. And imagine if every conversation you ever had to have with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your best friend in the whole world, you had to read it off of some, some silly card. So now we're not talking about a silly card. We're talking about, I keep reiterating, we're talking about Anshik Nasegadola. We're talking about the deepest, the deepest most intense song ever written is the Shmon Esrei. It's the deepest song that was ever written. But as the Jewish people are returning to Eretz Yisrael and the Koch of prophecy is beginning to bubble up, 
with no, nobody here has prophecy, except for maybe Marcus, I'm not sure. <laughs> but we don't have prophecy yet, but the stirrings of prophecy for sure we have. The creativity that's coming out of this generation, the creativity that's coming out of this generation is low human. It's not to be believed. And so that creativity is the sum total of the Jewish people ingesting ingesting the Shmona Esrei and taking it out of the freezer and letting it defrost and letting it defrost us. And so when we sing the Gunim, we're not just singing a nice song together around some tea lights at Kumbaya, but we're literally defrosting the Koch of Tefillah, which has been cryogenically frozen for 2,000 years. And Anima Amin Be'amunashlema, that the fact that we're sitting here and that we're doing this this evening, will give koach to this space medrash, to this mokum tefillah, to be able to begin the steps of synthesizing the koach of tefillah in our own words, in our own language, speaking to Hashem from the heart straight without an intermediary of a, a text, and taking the energy that's created through doing that, Hashem here and there, five minutes here, ten minutes there, and investing that in our Shemona Esri so that when we're because if you have a healthy relationship that's based on talking to each other and you know how to talk and have a conversation even if it's not scripted, and sometimes the deepest, most beautiful expressions, poetic expressions, are the, are the expressions that you wrote down. I was actually looking for it the other day because I came across a piece of it. When I was, we don't know each other well, but some of you know that about two years ago, I was in the United States finishing up uh, a round of treatment, a serious, intense treatment. Uh, six rounds of chemo and radiation, ended in a bone marrow transplant. And I remember at some point, we were in exile, living in the States, and we, we had this house that was too big for us, and we still had our place in Yerushalayim with all of our stuff in it. The only thing we brought was this guitar, uh, my wife's candlesticks from Shabbos candlesticks, a few pictures that we shoved in a bag, like a few family pictures, and a big painting that actually graces the cover of the Sefer that I was looking to write while I was sick. And that was it. That was really all we brought. So we were very homesick. And I won't go into the whole thing right now, but my wife wrote this beautiful poem, this amazing poem, which I won't get into right now, but I found the poem, and it was, it was a poem from a place of, of brokenness. You know, it was a very sweet tefillah, but it was tinged with a sense of brokenness of being exiled and of being, having a husband who's sick and being displaced and a whole bunch of other things. And a mother who's sick, my wife's mother is also, she needs her fortune, she should have it immediately. And um, I found the poem, and I did the unthinkable, I... I finished it, I wrote like a, I wrote like a final, it like ended, you know, and there was still room on the paper and I wrote like the, I wrote like the last paragraph. And so that scripted experience of being able to finish, it, they say that the Piazetz Rebbe also, the Piazetz Rebbe's wife used to finish his mamarm sometimes, she would find them unfinished and she would write them. So, note to self, you know, finish your husband's and your wife's writings. 
those are some of the deepest, the scripted expressions of, of connectivity, whether it's between husbands and wives, friends, between Hashem and, and His people, our ability to take this script that was given to us and to finish it, to write the final piece with our own words, is everything that the Jewish people have been waiting for for 2,000 years, and the days are here. We're ready for it.
And the Jewish people have a tradition about exactly how a person is supposed to go about figuring out what is the avoda of a particular month. What am I supposed to do with my time? What am I supposed to be focusing on? How do I live with the rising and the falling of the waves in a particular month? And so the place that we turn to is to the Torah that was being taught in the yeshivas that were before Hashem gave us the Torah. The entire Indian of, of the months, of the calendar, of living in a world of time and trying to orient ourselves in, in, in that very delicate, almost impossible place of, of time. What the Vilna Gun says, Bereshis Baralukim, that where was time created? Bereshis, in, in this concept of beginning, if, if there's a beginning, that means that time has been created. So time is the first thing that was created, and so it's very delicate. And so the Jewish people have their finger on the pulse of time. We know exactly how to figure out what is expected of us in a particular time period. And one of this farm that I owe very much to because of the fact that it opened up my father's eyes to a certain style of Torah that he then was able to pass on and I feel so grateful that I'm able to, to study it illuminates my life so one of the svarim that really opened up my father's eyes to this whole world of the inner dimension of Torah is the Sefer Bnei Yisachar my father was a he went to like Brooklyn uh, high school some high school in Brooklyn Brooklyn Town Medical Academy and he was a nice, nice kid, nice guy, you know. And he went through and he, he was fortunate enough to grow up in a house where Shabbos and Kashras and some basic things, but he wasn't really so into learning. And he one time stumbled across this safer and he's like, why don't they teach me this in high school? It would have been good if they would have taught me this. So the Sefer Yitzira, which in many ways orients the Bnei Saskar's writings, the Din of Rebbe's writings, or Tzviya the Melech of Dinov, it's the Sefer Yetzirah gives us a window into the avoda of every single month by telling us a particular letter that associates with that month, a particular action that associates with that month, and a particular name of Hashem that associates with that month, all different types of things that we can tap into to try to understand what does Hashem want from us in this time. So it happens to be that the month of Kislev which we just entered. So the Savior here says, Himlich os tzadik. Hashem took the, the letter Samach, excuse me, not Tzadik, he took the letter Samach, and he tied it, he tied it as a crown to the month of Kislev, and specifically the action of sleep. That's a sleepy month. Gets dark early. It's a sleepy month. It gets cold. So somehow, there's this Indian of sleep that descends upon the world. And through the letter of Samach, we're able to redeem this koch of sleep. The secret of the, of the, the koch of sleep being redeemed through the letter Samach is very pasha, very simple. 
there is a world, an inner world, that all of us are trying to form. We spoke about it a moment ago, whether it's trying to build a community, trying to, trying to create a space of Kedusha in our own personal lives. Maybe there are some people here who are just starting out their, their own little Mikdash Ma'at, their own family. Whenever a Jew or a Jewess is trying to, to create a world, a new world, they need to dream, they need to sleep. They need to sleep, and sometimes sleeping means feeling like you're not accomplishing. When a person goes to sleep, there's the possibility for the first time, sometimes, of seeing a world that's beyond what I could see with my eyes, and opening up my, my, the, the, the horizons, the possibility that maybe there's something beyond the world that I'm looking at right now, I can call the world's bluff and create this fantasy world that only exists in theory. I could look at a mountain in Eretz Yisrael and I could say, maybe there could be a community here. I could look at myself or I could look at a book and I could say, maybe I could get through the first 20 pages of this book. And maybe another 20. When a person wants to dream, they're taking something from the realm of thought, from the world of machshava, from this world of machshava, of trying to picture what a world might be like, and they're trying to bring it into the world of Maisa. Sleep, the world of dreams, the world of chalomot. The word chalom and the word chalon are very similar to each other. Chalon, a nun sofit, at the end of a, the end of a word in Hebrew grammar means taking something to its final, to its extreme point. Like the example I always give, you know, if a person steals something, so it's gezel, right? They stole. But if they do it like all the time, they take it to an extreme and they, they take it, drag it all the way down to the world of Misa, like completely, so then they become a gazlan. Person likes to learn, so they're low made, but if they do it all the time, they become a lamdan. Professional joke maker doesn't just sometimes do some, some little joke, but they become a late son, the nun at the end. The nun at the end means taking this thing to the, to the final, to the nth degree, to the nth degree. So chalon is like giving us a window haha, into, into, what a dream, into what a dream is. In the same way that I could look out a window and I could see something that's far away and I could picture could see clearly through a window is an opportunity. A window is, is a way to look out and to see the world. It's a way to break out of my own Dalit Amos, that's the walls that are caving in. And a window to the outside world is a window to the possibilities that lay outside. And a chalom is like that, but it's, it needs to be broken open. The mem sofit is still closed up and needs to be broken open and to become a chalom. And so we're afforded this opportunity when we go to sleep or when we enter into that time of year, which is the time of year of sleep. Himlich os samach. And it's tied as a kesher to the month of Kislev, which is connected to this Indian of Shana, of sleep. So, I once heard from my dear brother, I believe it was his own idea, that he said that the difference between the word the difference between the word machshava and the word maisa, so 
the difference between the word machshava and the word maisa is 60, is samach. To take something from the realm of thought and to bring it to the world of action, to make it real, is to take something from the world of, from the dream world, to see it. Like when my kids are doing a puzzle and they, they look at the box to see, you know, to see where exactly are these pieces are supposed to go, you know, it's like, it's a little bit cheating, but nine, six, and three, give them a break, you know? They're looking at the puzzle and the box and they're, and they're figuring out where the pieces go. A dream is like having a glimpse at that box of what the world could look like. And when we take the letter Samach and we apply it to the dream world, we take, we take a machshava, we take a machshava, which is 355, and we add to it another 60 and we get the word Maisa. Hanukkah is that window. The Talmidim and the Baal Shem Tov explained that when Yosef HaTzadik has that moment where he needs to be miskaber on himself. So it says over there that he looked in the chalon, he looked in the window and he saw the diukno of his father. Which means, on a deeper level, the Talmidim and the Baal Shem Tov explained, means on a deeper level that he looked in the window and he saw himself. But in that reflection of himself, he saw what he could be. He saw his father, he saw a young man of 17 years old and then he said, I look so much like my father and then he started thinking about his father and in that moment of looking in the window he was able to dream himself into that world and to get out of a bad situation so the Tawindu Hashem said, you think it's an accident that for for so many years of exile, the Jewish people nowadays, Baruch Hashem, we're back in Eretz Yisrael so there's an opportunity in my family, we like two, we like two menorahs one menorah outside, came in and Yisrael. But we're first year olim, you know, like first uh, first generation olim. So we always we always light inside also by the window, just like we used to do, you know, growing up. And in fact, I usually make the bracha on the one in the window, and then I go outside without speaking, and I light the one outside also. Because the Talmidim of Hashem have explained that the word chalon, the way that the Torah spells the word chalon. In this passage is without a vav. Ches lamid nun. And the Talmidim of the explained that Ches lamid nun is the, is the Roshe Tevos of the words that, this is certainly the Minag amongst Hasidim, based on the Arizal, that the, the word Chalon is Roshe Tevos for Lahadlik Ne'er Chanukah. Lahadlik Ne'er Chanukah. Whether you light by a window, whether you light outside, whether you're lighting in a dungeon somewhere. When a person looks at the Hanukkah candles, it's a window into that world of the dream world that a person is building. As far as I it's also Notzer Chesed Alafim, the same Rosh Hashanah, Notzer Chesed Alafim. Nafshenu Chiksa Hashem. Our soul is is desiring to come to Hashem. A person looks into the candles. The nearest of Hanukkah, there are three parts to the nearest of Hanukkah. I'll sing a nigan in a second. There are three parts to the nearest of Hanukkah. There's the flame, there's the wick, and there's the oil. There's the nair, there's the psil, and there's the shemen. And when we're looking at the Hanukkah candles, we're getting a window into that nafshenu chiksal Hashem. My soul is, is 
desirous of Hashem, like we sang a second ago, Tzoma Nafshi Lelokim Lekel Chai, Libi Ubsari Yiranu Lekel Chai. So when we're singing those words by the candles, Afshenu Chiksa Hashem, a beautiful nigan from Chaim David, for those who know it. When we're looking at those candles, whether we're singing the nigan, not singing the nigan, and you're looking at the ner and the psil and the shemen, so ner, the ner is the top part, that's the nun, ner, and the psil is the pei, and then the shemen is the shin, nefesh. A person's looking at shenu chiksa Hashem, our soul is desiring to come close to Hashem, and a person is literally able to look out the window into the world of dreams and to free the dreams, to take that which is in the realm of machshava and bring it into the world of maisa. For a person to trust themselves, to correct, like Rabbi Nachman writes, well, maybe in a few minutes we'll read it later after we sing a few nagonim. To move into that world of the koch madame of the imagination, which was made impure by the Greeks when they were matame the shmanim, when they made the oils impure, what they were doing is they were taking our imagination, our ability to dream big, to dream like Jews dream, to dream like a Jew really dreams. Yaakov Avinu had dreams. He had a dream of a ladder that reached Shemayim. He also had dreams about sheep. When Yaakov Avinu was leaving Eretz Yisrael, maybe he spent a year or two in, uh, in yeshiva and seminary. I mean, he spent more than that, he spent 14 years, but he spent quite a bit of time in yeshiva seminary and he was flying. And then he goes to sleep and he has a dream, a window into what his soul is craving. Lavshenu Hashem. He has this dream of angels going up and, uh, up and down a ladder, connecting heaven and earth. The Tachlis Abriya, connecting Shemaim and Aretz. And then he goes and he hangs out with Lavan. And he takes a few, you know, detours down the road to professionalism. And all of a sudden he finds that he's having these dreams about sheep. Dreaming about different types of sheep. And he wakes up the next morning. It's in the Psukim. Ayn Sham, go look. He wakes up the next morning and he says to Rachel and Leh, he's like, we got to get out of here. And so sometimes the person looks into the Hanukkah candles, Rosh Chodesh Kislev, the person enters into the world of sleep and the letter Samach, and they look deep into those candles and they see something and they say, what am I dreaming about? What is this? And that also is a gift. That's better than any gift your grandmother you know, gave you, a replacement of the, you know, the gifts that the... And Jews started giving each other gifts. Hanukkah gelt is really, that's the... The Baal Turim says that Sulam, Sulam, Mutzav Arts of Rosh Hashanah, that dream of Yaakov Avinu, Sulam, the word Sulam, has the same numerical value as the word Mamon, as money. It doesn't explain what he means by that. But as we're sitting here right now, it occurs to me that Hanukkah gelt, which is the real gift, by, by old Eden, they never gave each other gifts. That's, uh, that came from you know, from the guy with the beard and the red, and the red jumper. But, but gelt, Hanukkah gelt, mamun, as we're giving each other the gift of this ladder, we're giving ourselves the gift of this ladder, we're saying maybe we spend too much time dreaming about sheep, and it's time to go, time to go back to that sula of arts of Rosh Hashanah, to connect heaven and earth once again, to give each other gifts of money, or at least chocolate gelt. Hashem should help us to take our dreams, our machshava, and to turn into the world of Maisa, to take our chalomos, take our dreams, and to put them through 
the prism of the letter Samach, to open up the Chalom and to turn into Chalon, a window into our hopes and dreams. And Hashem should open the window. Hashem should open that window to allow our nefesh, the Ner Psil and Shemin, to shine brightly, to be able to look deeply and to light ourselves up in a way. I've been waiting a long time to sing this nigan because uh, it's a nigan for Rosh Chodesh Kislev. I don't know how many people know it, but we'll find out quickly. If you don't know it, I'll teach it slowly in pieces. There's three parts. I had the good fortune of writing this together with a friend on Rosh Chodesh Kislev less than 10 years ago. I'm not sure exactly when it was. And we were very sad that Rosh Chodesh Kislev didn't have its own niggin. It deserved its own niggin, you know. It deserved its own niggin. Vihineinu, here we are. And it was right after Havdalah. It happened to be that Rosh Chodesh fell out on Motzei Shabbos. And we were sitting right after Havdalah. And we made a pact. You know, I don't even think we said Bli Nether. We, we, could, we could still be sitting there, you know, if not for the fact that Hashem came in and and delivered this, but we said we're not getting up until Rosh Chodesh has its own nigan. And this is the nigan that we wrote together.
learn a teaching from Cook. Like to learn a teaching from Cook before we do. Try to attach ourselves to to tzaddikim and learn a certain teaching from a from a tzaddik. But first, try to connect to them on a certain level. had a student named David Cohen the Nazir. He was a student in university, just like a lot of you. And he heard that Rav Cook was in Switzerland during the middle of the First World War. And he wanted very much, he had been reading some of the writings of Rav Cook, and he wanted very much to, to meet the rabbi. He himself was studying philosophy uh, in the original Greek. And he heard that there was a way for him to come and, and to meet Rav Cook. And so he talks about how in preparation for going to meet his Rebbe, or this great man who was not yet his Rebbe, he went to go tovel in uh, the Rhine River, I think he said. He went to one of the rivers. Remember which one? Went to one of the rivers. My geography is off. Uh, he went to one of the rivers nearby, and he dunked in the, in the river to prepare himself, to retire himself, and set off to the house, the address he was given, where Rav Kook was staying. And he walked into the house. Rav Kook was in the middle of the Chavrusa. He was learning. And after waiting for a few minutes, Rav Kook looked up, and they ex- exchanged pleasantries, and introduced himself and he said, what are you studying? He said, I'm studying Greek philosophy, I'm studying philosophy in, in university. And Rav Cook started talking to him about Greek philosophy with this intimate knowledge of, of the writings of, of the philosophers and even also understood and was able to recite passages in the original Greek. And Rav David Cohen, the Nazir, who was not yet the Nazir, was just this, he later took on a, an oath of Nazirus. He had very long hair, he looked like a wizard. Um, so the, the Nazir of David Kohn, or this David Kohn at the time, uh, was a little disappointed, you know? Like, he came to, to meet this holy man, and like, he'll learn philosophy from the, from the university, you know? He came to ask some questions about, about the meaning of life, and he ended up getting into this whole conversation about... Anyway, I guess things were different back then, because if any of you tried to pull this in my house, it would never work out, but somehow he ended up staying the night you know, he came to go meet Rav Cook for the first time, and he asked a few questions. And instead of Rav Cook saying like, "Okay, this was like really nice, like come back again," he was like, "You know, why don't you stay? Why don't you stay the night? That we have an extra room. We come sleep, sleep by us." And um, so he's like, "Okay, yeah, for sure. I'll say, yeah, for sure. I mean, right? Yeah, that that sounds great." So he got he got his little room off to the side. It wasn't a huge, you know palatial building where Cook was living in, but he, he made some space for him, and he, he had his own space. And the Nazi writes this in his in the introduction to the Sefer Aur Sakodesh, which we're going to read from in a second. 
uh, from, this, from the introduction to the Sefer Ursa Kodesh, we're going to read from the Sefer Oros in a second. But here it's in the introduction to Ursa Kodesh that that night he was tossing back and forth. He was like he couldn't sleep because he could sense that either this man is my Rebbe, and like he had read things that Rav Kook wrote, he knew that this was a, a soaring spirit. This was not uh, your average person. And he, he deeply, deeply wanted to connect to Rav Kook. But he knew either this is going to be, like, this is a, a make or break moment in my life. He was tossing and turning, he couldn't sleep. He's like... And next thing you know, tossing and turning, not really getting a, a moment's sleep, he starts to hear the birds chirping and he realizes, oh my gosh, it's morning already. And sleep. He was so upset about the fact that he didn't really get to talk to Rav Kook heart to heart, like in a real way, that he, he was just, you know, tossing and turning the whole night till all of a sudden he heard the birds chirping. And, oh my gosh, it's morning. Or it's almost morning. And then he describes how he hears footsteps walking back and forth, pacing in the room outside, outside his door. And he overhears Rav Kook reciting the Birkos Shachar. Just a simple Birchus Shachar. And then he hears of Kook reciting the Parsha Sakeda with this nigin, with this nigun that he was using. And he said, I heard this, this, this song from, from this man, from Rav Kook. I heard the footsteps and the, and the brachos and the, and the nigun. And he said, I became a different person altogether. And he said, I myself got up to Davin, and after Davening, I wrote down for myself this whole story in the journal. You know, he's writing now. He's writing. He's like, I wrote this all down in the journal. That matzati li rav. I found my I found my rebbe. So we're going to learn a teaching from Rav Kook. I don't know how much time everybody has. I'm sure people have places to go, and no one's hostage. You can get up and leave at any time. I won't be insulted. So if we're gonna if we're gonna learn a teaching from Rav Cook and we're gonna make him into our teacher for at least for the next few minutes, so then we'll sing this thing in about what it means to find someone in your life who's a mentor, what it means to find a rav, what it means to find a mora, to find a friend who can show you that, like Chidush Arim said, the second paragraph of Masechah Shabbos deals with all the things that are allowed to be used to light the nearest of Shabbos and the nearest of Hanukkah. There's a line there in the Gemara that says that even the, the ptilim, even the, the wicks and the shmonim, which you're not allowed to use to light up Han, uh, Shabbos candles, you could use for Shabbos can, for, for Hanukkah candles. Excuse me. The, the, the wicks and the oils that, you're, that are not sufficient to light up Shabbos candles, you're allowed to use them for Hanukkah candles. And the Chidush said, based on this teaching, he said that there are some Jews that the light of Shabbos even, which is so powerful, which is the most powerful light in the whole world, the light of Shabbos can't reach them, but the light of that dreaming light of the Himlech Osamach, the Kislev, which bridges the world of dreams and the world of action, even those wicks and oils, even those Jews whose makeup is not sufficient for lighting Shabbos candles, the Hanukkah candles will, will light them up. And so we're going to learn this teaching, but we should be zuchah to find someone who is able to light us up. To not just one person, we should be surrounded by and to light each other up and to be, to be able to show each other that, okay, yeah, 
Maybe your, your shmanim and your psilos, you don't think they're so good, but let me show you how I can, I can light this up. Thank you. 
spent a, a decent amount of time with him. He was living in Eretz Yisrael at the time, and he spent a decent amount of time with Rav Kook. Rav Kook was so holy that he didn't really know how to relate to him completely. In fact, he quotes Rav Kook a number of times in his writings, but he never, in, in the Sefer Pachad Yitzchak, which is a Sefer, Yitzchak Kutner Sefer, but he never quotes him by name. So on one hand, you know, room for questioning that. On the other hand, one gets the sense that Rav Kutner was so overawed by Rav Kook, that he couldn't even come to say his name with, without feeling completely overwhelmed. Rav Hutner wrote that Mesechet Shabbos, Mesechet Shabbat, deals with all the laws of Shabbos, but somehow the beginning of Mesechet Shabbos starts with if you've ever spoke a second ago about the second paragraph of Masechet Shabbos, but in the first paragraph of Masechet Shabbos, there's a whole discussion about what a person's allowed to go out of their house with and not allowed to go out of their house with, and when are you allowed to go out of your house, and the different rishuyos, and which is really something which should be reserved for Masechet Erechin, that's like Erevin, excuse me, the laws of, of an Erev. It's a whole Masechta. So Rav Hutner said that if you look in the first Tosos over there, Tosos asked this question, why is Shabbos starting with Hotza? And Tosos has an answer, where he says that you wouldn't have thought that Hotza is a malacha. You know, taking taking uh, hummus, taking chickpeas, and grinding them up and turning them into a, a dip, so like that's clearly a malacha, like I'm doing something, you know? Or sifting through you know, my sock laundry and pairing everything up, like that's, like, that's a malacha. But simply like having something in my pocket that I'm barely aware of and just walking outside, like, why would I think that's a malacha? So right away, it's what Tosos refers to as a malacha garua. It's like not such a big deal. So, you know, right away they have to tell us about, about the, the, this Isra of Hotza and Shabbos. But then Rehutner says, if not for the fact that Tosos said this, I would give a different answer. I would say that Shabbos, of all of the holy days of the Jewish people, See, on a regular Yom Tov, all of the Yom Tovim, every single one of them, there's no prohibition of Hutzah. Hutzah is only prohibited on Shabbos. Right? You remember this? You ever go by Tashlich, by Rosh Hashanah, and you're like, you know, in some communities they go down to like some river at the edge of like a forest, and you're way outside the boundaries of the Erev. You're like by the river that separates between your town and the next town. There's no Erev down there, but you can carry a machzer. You can carry some bread if that's your minute. And, uh, and there's no problem because Hotza is permissible on Yom Tov as long as it's Litzar HaMoid. But on Shabbos, you're not allowed to carry. And so Rav Hutner said that specifically that thing, which is the unique avoda of this particular day, that's how we start off because it gives us an insight into something which is unique about Shabbos. And from there, he develops this whole idea about how Shabbos is, for, the whole Indian of Shabbos is about not leaving one's place and being okay with things being where they are and not having to take them to another place. So I say that by introduction of what we're going to read from, from Rav Kook, and then after that we'll, we'll take stock of the, of the chief rabbi over here. We'll ask him what he thinks in terms of... or whoever's the chief rabbi, Rebetzin. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out 
if I'm overstaying the welcome or... <laughs> so, I say that by way of introduction because Hanukkah also has something which is unique of all of the different Yom Tovim. Of all of the Yom Tovim that the Jewish people celebrate, there's only one Yom Tov, or eight days of one Yom Tov, which connect to an exile that happened in Eretz Yisrael. In other words, Hanukkah, to the exclusion, I guess, of some more modern Yom Tovim, since the return of the Jewish people to Eretz Yisrael, which Cook wasn't so to see. I mean, the return, yes. But Hanukkah is a Yom Tov which is so mechubar to the Indian of Eretz Yisrael. In the same way that Shabbos is somehow related in some deep way to the Indian of Hotzah, Hanukkah is related to Eretz Yisrael. So if Cook writes the following, a small little paragraph from the Sefer Oros. It's impossible for a Jewish person. This is on page 10 for those who are taking notes. It's impossible for a Jewish person. It is not possible for a person to completely give themselves over in a way where they completely trust their thoughts, their inductions, their logic, Rayonosov, their, their ruminations, Dimionosov, their imagination, what we've been talking about, this world of dreaming, this world of attempting to create a world that you don't yet see. It's not possible for a Jewish person to give themselves over completely and with complete faith to the world of their thoughts and their dreams and their aspirations and their imagination, outside of Eretz Yisrael. He's going to qualify that. A person can't give themselves over to their imagination, etc. In the same way that they're able to do, it doesn't mean you can't do it at all. Of course you could do it. And at the end, he's going to say something super gewaldic. A person can't give themselves over to their thoughts, their dreams, and to trust themselves, to trust their instinct. In Chutzlar, it's the way that they're able to in Eretz Yisrael. Hufaus HaKodesh Be'eza Madriga Shehein On whatever level a person finds himself, his aspirations for holiness, expressions of holiness, Nekiyos Heim Be'eretz Yisrael, Lafia Erech. They're relatively, to the extreme, more clean in Eretz Yisrael. Our thoughts are more clean. Uba Chutzlar Eretz Mu'uravos Heim as opposed to outside of Eretz Yisrael, where there's an admixture of all types of dross, all types of shells of husks that surround our mind that don't allow us to be able to penetrate deeply into what is it do I, what do I really want? Not what have I been convinced that I want, but what do I really, really want? And then Rav Kook says, Amnam, however, 
But here's the important point. No matter where a person is in the world, and even more so when a person is geographically in Eretz Yisrael, to the degree that a person clings to this Indian of Eretz Yisrael, they want to be connected to Eretz Yisrael, to the degree that a person is dreaming of Eretz Yisrael, like Rabbi Nachman explained, Eretz Yisrael is a lesson of Eretz Yisrael. I'm running to be a Yisraeli, to be a Jew. And he wrote, Se liot Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael. From a lesson of Ratzon and running. And the Aleph in the beginning is, I. I am. Eretz Yisrael. I'm running to be a Jewish person. To the degree that a person is running to be a Jewish person, is connecting to Chutz Laretz. Is connecting to Eretz Yisrael, even if they're in Chutz Laretz. Then their mind begins to be clarified with that rarefied air of Eretz Yisrael. They breathe deeply of the air of Eretz Yisrael. Which hovers over any person who is yearning to see her. And therefore, rejoice over Yerushalayim those who take pride in her and those who love her. Chanukah, which is this Yom Tov of Eretz Yisrael, was the only time, if I go back to my experience in Chutzlaretz, even though my wife and I both cried on Chanukah, the two times that we were there, it was the only time I ever, it's not true, Sukkis also, Sukkis also, is the only Time aside from Sukkis. Sukkis is also so Yisrael, you know. It was the only time when we could pretend to close our eyes and to look out the window, and if you're looking right, if you're looking at the candles, and outside is just like a haze in the background, you're almost sure that you're looking outside a window and you're looking into your shalim. Because Hanukkah is the, is the exile that took place inside of Eretz Yisrael. It means that when we are redeemed, the celebration of Hanukkah, which is the redemption from that exile, when the Jewish people are redeemed from an exile, we don't just go back. When Yaakov you know, wrestles with Esav, which is an act, that's, an, that's a precursor to exile, when he comes out victorious from that exile, he doesn't just go back to, oh, phew, now I'm Yaakov again, everything's fine. He becomes Yisrael. He becomes a new, he becomes a new entity, a higher entity. When the Jewish people have an exile experience, whether it's Purim, Hanukkah, Pesach, all, all the different Yom Tovim, which are experience of we had something that tried to weigh us down, we'd come back a million times stronger. The strength of Hanukkah, Yom Tov is done thing. The strength of Hanukkah is this Indian of, of being able to dream better, to be able to think better, to be able to trust ourselves more, to trust our instincts, that what I want is, is a Jewish want. What I want is to climb the Sulamuts of Arts of Roshamagiyashamayim, but what I want is not sheep. What I want is to be able to connect myself to this deepest yearning of nafshenu chiksal Hashem. My soul is pining for God. It's sort of Cook says, to the degree that we're choshek for Eretz Yisrael, to the degree that we're looking at Eretz Yisrael and connecting to Eretz Yisrael, that's how much we can trust ourselves. And so on Hanukkah, which is this quintessentially Eretz Yisrael Deka holiday, where within our own land, they were trying to metame the shmonim. Like Rabbi Nachman explains in the first... Look at it yourselves. Lakute Alachos Hilchas Chanaka Aleph Aleph. The first, the very first piece. 
Rav Nassim writes in the name of his Rebbe Rabbi Nachman that the whole Indian of being Matami the Shmonim, that the, they were Matami the Shmonim, the Shmonim refers to our imagination. And he brings lots of rise. It's our imagination, it's our ability to dream and to trust our intuition that my dream, my hope, my goal, whatever it is, whatever I'm studying, whatever my aspiration is professionally, to know that this is not just a professional aspiration. This is not just a, a dream of, of physical success, but like Rav Kook writes elsewhere, that the Chazion HaRuchani and the Chazion HaGashmi work together, hand in hand. That the vision, that messianic vision of what the world could look like physically, to have my own house with a nice backyard garden and some fruit trees or whatever, whatever your dream home is, to be twinned with a dream of what is that home filled with? What is the light that illuminates that home? And so Hanukkah affords us this opportunity, this dream space. We read over Kislev, we're going to read all of these stories of dreaming, of Yaakov dreaming, like we said a few times, and Yosef's dreams, and even Paro's dreams. There's so many dreams happening in Kislev. And so this a little bit is a dream. This has been a dream. This is a bit of a dream to be able to sit here together with you guys and you girls, you men and you women, to be able to sit together and to dream together about what a community could be and what a, what a community I'm seeing is, to be able to sing the Gurim together, to daven together, to learn together. So maybe we'll sing a few more Nigunim. Again, everyone feel free to head out. According to my recording over here, I, st I still have 14 minutes, so. Thank you. 